evening. How's everybody tonight? Take your uh, Bibles out. And also, as you do that, I need some ushers. Could I have some ushers, please? Thank you. Thank you and thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Folks, as we continue to go over just very basic things in the Christian life, uh, I've purposely decided to take three nights uh, and talk about Bible study. Uh, so we'll look at that tonight and next week as well, and then we will move on to talk about some other very basic things in the Christian life. But we're going to continue tonight looking at Bible study and why that is so foundational in the Christian life. Uh, now, as people continue to make their way in and ushers give out those pages and so forth, does anybody, does anybody have any insight on their Bible study that they would like to throw out? Maybe something you've learned in your years of Bible study. I underline a lot of the words. Okay. Right. Circle all question marks. Hmm. Uh, the reason I do that is because I found that usually God's asking for you know the question's there. It's right. God knows the answer, so it's not really about him having a question. It's let me know that I need to be uh, answering the question and looking at it. Okay. So. Uh, he goes through the Bible and circles all question marks, just kind of to highlight to him that that's something he needs to camp out on a little while and reflect on that question. Anybody else? I found it helpful for me personally to, especially with the study, is to use a translation of scripture that is in paragraph form rather than verse by verse by verse. Okay. It makes it much easier for me to follow the James process. Okay. So picking a, a Bible that has the passages in paragraph rather than every verse left justified. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Now we'll say about that if you're a teacher of the scripture, a Sunday school teacher, it might be easier to have a Bible that every verse is left justified. So if you tell the class, look at verse 23 real quick. You can quickly look down the left margin and find verse 23. If you've got to start looking through where 23 might start in a paragraph, that's uh, a little more difficult. Right? Okay. Other, other Bible study ideas. David? Okay. Yes. Exactly 
Sure. Okay. So make making sure you pick up the full con- the the context of a passage that you're studying. Very important. Somebody else before we move on. Anybody else? Now, why would I why would I camp out on Bible study and Bible reading for three three sessions out of our eleven? Uh, we'll be camped out on this. Why? When there's so many topics we could talk about. You what? Helps us grow. Exactly. You don't get any more foundational than Bible reading, do you? And a Christian who doesn't discipline himself to read the Bible... And to grow in his Bible study methods, probably not going to advance very far in his Christian life. Uh, it's, it's God's love letter to us. Uh, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It, it's the tool, the illustration I used last week. Uh, in your toolbox at home, you have basic tools, a hammer and screwdriver and pliers. Basic tools. The Bible is our basic tool for growth. Well, you know, disturbingly so in some ways, I guess, our culture has made a radical shift in the last century or coming up on the last, uh, coming up on a century. We've really shifted. Uh, We've shifted more from a word-based society to what? images. We're becoming more and more uh, visual with uh, television, the internet, and all kinds of things coming out that, that, that stimulate the, the visual. Uh, you know, some people are getting to where they, they just can't hardly really read and study and digest a text anymore like our, like our forefathers could do. And that's, that's disturbing in a way, isn't it? When we don't read and when, when we don't know how to, we tend not to. It, it's kind of a vicious cycle, a catch-22. Now, I'm not speaking of just proficiency here in and of itself, uh, but if we just don't understand the mechanics of the written word, Uh, we're just not going to get as much out of our Bible reading. And yet we need to read the Bible. The Bible begs to be a book that's read. Somebody read Joshua 1.8 to us tonight. Who would turn there and read Joshua Somebody who has it, read Joshua 1 8 loud, loudly.
This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it day and night, and then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and have great success. So again, uh, success in the Christian life, success in God's viewpoint, uh, depends largely on whether just like Joshua, we read and understand and meditate on the Word of God and apply it to our everyday lives, right? And so we need to get back to understanding how to read and study the Bible and to become effective Bible students. Now, since there's a direct correlation between your ability to observe and your ability to read, uh, anything you can do to improve your reading skills will be a quantum leap uh, in, in the directions of improving your observation skills as a student of the Bible. So let's talk tonight about reading the Bible. Now, when you're reading the Bible, what you're trying to do is to learn how to, to do what? To see. To see what's there. That's the first step we need to take in reading anything, right? You want to see what's there. You simply want to observe what is there. You pick up the sports page in the morning and read about any games played over the weekend. And, and, and what are you looking for first? Content. What happened? Who, what, when, where, why? Those basic newspaper reporter questions, right? Going at the text, first of all, before you start interpreting it or trying to apply it to your life or any, anything like that, first of all, just answering the question, what's there? What's written? What do I see? What do I observe? Now, we're not always good at seeing when we come to our Bible reading. We're too oftentimes like the scientist and the flea. Did you hear about the scientist and the flea? No? Well, I'll tell you about it. A scientist was using the inductive method to observe the characteristics of a flea. Now, plucking off a leg of the flea, he, he said jump. Guess what? The flea jumped. He plucked off another leg, said jump, or he just watched to see if the flea would jump, and it jumped again. Well, he continued this process until he came to the sixth and the final leg. Now, by now, the flea was having a little more difficulty jumping every time a leg was plucked off. And so the scientist raised his voice and said, jump. But all the legs were gone. So the flea just sat there. Scientist said, jump. It just sat there. Motionless. Well, the scientist then made the following observation in his notebook. He said, when you remove the legs from a flea, it loses its sense of hearing. <laughs> I'd say that guy missed something on observation, wouldn't you? 
We need to read with observation in mind. Learn to read as for the first time. Now, be honest. You turn to John 3 and you're reading about Nicodemus and then the snake that was lifted up on the pole in the wilderness and then John 3.16 and what might you be tempted to think as you read John chapter 3? I know it. I, I've read this before and so what do you do? You just kind of skim through it, right? What's the old saying, familiarity breeds content? It's true, isn't it? We just, sometimes we just think we become so familiar with some passages or chapters in the Bible or, or some books as a whole. We just become so familiar with them, we just kind of scan through them, just kind of pick our way through them real quick. Oh, I know all that already, right? And we're just not very careful. And so we need to get back reading a text as though we're reading it for the first time. Read in different translations. Now what's the beauty of doing that? Different nuances. Different translations are kind of like a if you will, a translation team's commentary on that word or that verse. You're reading a verse in the Bible and you say, hmm, that's, that's an interesting word in that text. And you read five, six, seven other translations and see how those trans, translation teams handled that word. And it, it, it's kind of like getting a commentary on that verse, isn't it? Seeing how different experts, how different scholars examining the original languages and studying the words and seeing how to bring it over into the English to, to, to uh, achieve both accuracy and readability. To see how they dealt with that word. By the way, you, you can get Bibles now that uh, I've got one over in my office that uh, in that one Bible there, I've got eight different translations in one volume. And it truly does sometimes help a passage. If you're struggling with the passage, uh, it, it kind of helps bring it alive if you read it in some different translations. Now, I know you've got your favorite translations. I do too. But still, if you read, a, if, you, if you buy a good variety of them and, and uh, read them, study them on a particular passage, it can really help bring a passage to light. Let me give you an example. Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Does anybody remember how Philip's translation deals with that verse? Exactly. Don't be squeezed into the world's mold. That's pretty picturesque, isn't it? Kind of gives you a thought about conformity when we conform 
Uh, if we conform to this world, it's like we're being squeezed into this world's mold. You, you've not picked up a single commentary and had to find that out. Just by reading the text in a different translation, you got a little different nuance to that phrase there. And it kind of brought that phrase to light a little bit. So different translations. That, that can add a lot to your, to your Bible reading. Giving you a fresh perspective. Read the Bible as a love letter. God's love letter to you. How would you leave, how, when you were a teenager, how would you, you read a love letter? Over and over and over again. Boy, I tell you what, it captured your attention, right? That's how we ought to read the Bible. Read thoughtfully. Thoughtful reading involves study. When you come to the Bible, put your thinking cap on. The Bible does not yield its treasures to the lazy. Don't kick your mind in neutral. Really reflect on what that text is saying. Read repeatedly. I tell you what, the beauty of the inspired Word of God is just the staying power that it has. Uh, it can stand up to repeated exposure. It's like any, unlike any other book in that regard. You can read a, a passage over and over and over again. And, and you can read something and say, man, I, I've read that a thousand times in my life. And I never saw that. You've had that experience before, right? Sure. Read it repeatedly. Try reading entire books at one sitting. That's more of a challenge on some of the long ones. But, but try to get a big perspective. The, what's, what's the value if you sit down and just block off an hour or two and read one book? What's, what's that going to do? You get a whole book at one sitting, right? The whole book at one sitting. There's value in that. There's a lot of value in doing that. Try doing that. You know, then go back and reread the book and reread chapters and reread certain sections and, and, and break things down into and, and study. But, but first time you come to a book, read the whole book. But again, like I mentioned last week, all this skipping around that we do, you know, it, it's, it's not so good. It, it's kind of like a man with a remote, as Connie would say. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll be watching three or four channels at one time. Any of you guys do that? There'll be, a game on, there'll be a game on one channel, a race on another channel, and a movie on another channel, and you're kind of skipping between all three. And it just frustrates her to death. But if you're not careful, that's kind of what we do in our Bible reading. We just skip around like that. Little time here, little time there, little time there. And we miss a lot. Start at the beginning of a book. I told you this is going to be simple, folks. I mean, foundational, right? It seems like it ought to be obvious. Start at the beginning of a book. 
I tell you what, if you're reading Isaiah and you jump into Isaiah chapter 40 where where God says, comfort ye, comfort my people. Tell them that their time of exile is about over. Hear ye, hear ye, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. From chapter 40 on, those, those passages of comfort and how God is going to bring his people back. And, and then ultimately one day the forerunner to the Messiah and the suffering servant who's going to uh, provide for them redemption. If you jump in at Isaiah with that, I tell you what, you miss the first 39 chapters where you see all the misery that sin has brought on the nation. I mean, you're not going to understand the comfort passages. You're not going to appreciate them as much unless you walk in the valley first with the Hebrew people before God takes them to the mountain peak, right? Start at the beginning of the book. Now, in addition to reading the Bible in different translations, consider getting the Bible on CD or putting it on your MP3 play or something. And as, if you commute to work, some people say, I don't have enough time to read the Bible. Sure you do. Do you drive to work 20, 30, 40 minutes every day? How many chapters could you listen to in that amount of time? A lot. And then sometimes by hearing somebody else read it and the way they read it and the inflection that they use, something can jump out at you, right? Try that sometime. Download it on the MP3 player or on your iPad or something and, and listen. Just listen to large blocks of the scripture. Read them yourself, but listen to somebody else. Read them. Read the Bible out loud yourself. You're, you're forced to think about what you're reading. And, and likewise, hearing something might make something jump out to you. Set up a schedule for reading. If you're going to get through your Bible, you're going to have to have some kind of schedule. You know, this U version of the Bible, all kinds of different uh, reading plans that you can get on if you have. Anybody do the, the U version? Okay. You can go to Back to the Bible and all sorts of different reading plans. Uh, chronological reading plan, you can, you can read through the Bible, uh, putting things together. For example, you know, you get into. Some of the events in David's life in 2 Samuel and a chronological Bible is going to bring in all those psalms that David wrote that relate to that event in his life and put it right there with those passages out of 2 Samuel. And it, and it does that with the whole Bible. Puts it in chronological order. That's a fascinating way to read the Bible. Read the Bible chronologically. Different reading plans. Read patiently. Unless you have good developed skills at reading and observing, it, it's unlikely that you're going to dip into the Word of God for five minutes and come away with very much. The fruit of the Word takes time to ripen. Work with one book maybe for a solid week or maybe a solid month. Read it, reread it till you understand the structure 
the key terms, points, central characters, zoom in and out, read the whole book, you know, the wide angle, go back, uh, read some of the smaller pieces, put together the flow of the material, just kind of zooming in and zooming out as you study a book in detail over a week or two. Just kind of camp out in the book. Read as an investigator. Again, those questions, who? Who are the people in this text? What's said of them? What do they say? What's going on in this text? What are the events? And what order did things happen? What happens to the characters? What's the argument being made, if any? What's the writer wanting the recipients to do? Where? Where's the narrative taking place? Where are the people in the story? Where are they coming from? Where are they going? Where's the writer writing from? Could his location and writing add any perspective to the book? I mentioned last week about Philippians, a book of joy. When you understand Paul is writing from captivity under house arrest... That house arrest as, uh, as the book of Acts closes out. And, 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 and Philippians is one of those captivity epistles. And yet he's talking about freedom and joy. That kind of puts a whole new perspective on that book, doesn't it? By understanding where the writer's writing from. When? When did the events that he's talking about take place? Why? Why do you think this book is included in the canon of Scripture? Why did God put this book in here? What's its contribution? If, if you were to read the little book of Philemon, what's, what's the beauty of that story and maybe the contribution to the whole canon of Scripture? Anybody got a thought or an idea on that? A slave that becomes your brother? Okay. What else does it show though? Forgiveness. Boy, it really ties in with redemption, doesn't it? Paul said, put his sins on my account. Hold me responsible. I'll pay the debt. Now, what's that remind you of? Jesus. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right, telling the guy to go back. Take responsibility for his wrongdoing too. Mm-hmm. Again, that ties in with the story of redemption, doesn't it? What am I to do with this book? How do I apply the principles that I, that I read in this book? How can I be a doer of the word? Read the Bible prayerfully. Jesus said in John 14 to 16 that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says the Bible is God's word. It's inspired. 2 Peter 1 says men wrote as the Holy Spirit 
carried them along to write. And the words that's used there, the the word picture behind being carried along is of a sailboat out on the sea. And the wind gets in the sail and carries it along. And Peter is saying that's what God did with the biblical writers. And so who's the ultimate author of the Bible? God is. So go to the Bible prayerfully. Asking God to reveal things to you. Read meditatively. Sometimes we read too much, reflect too little. Our instant society is killing us in this regard. We want everything right now. But Joshua 1.8 that I had somebody read a moment ago. And Psalm 1 talks about meditating on the word of God day and night. So again, just work on basic reading skills. Observation, what's there? What do I see? And putting together what you see. And taking time. Don't get in a hurry with the Word of God. Don't get in a hurry. I mean, folks, if this is really God's Word, boy, we stand up and shout that in church, don't we? But do we read it and study it and try to live by it as though we really believe what we say? A lot of times it just collects dust on our shelf. Oh, yeah, that's God's word, brother. When's the last time you really studied it? Mm, About eight or nine months ago. Yeah, you really believe it's God's word, don't you? If this book is as important as this book claims to be, and this book will do in your life and my life what it says it will do, how God will use this to grow your Christian life, to enrich your life, and it's like treasures opened up to you every time you study it. If we really believe that, shouldn't we take it a little more seriously? We should, shouldn't we? As we read, what are some some signs along the way to look for? As as you read in all the above kinds of ways that we've just mentioned, reading repeatedly, repeatedly and out loud and all that, what are some things to pay attention to? Well, first of all, I'd say things that are emphasized. You read a book and a particular word or phrase keeps showing up over and over and over again. Pay attention to that. How about the amount of space that's devoted to something? That can be significant. It can be. Something emphasized usually will occupy a large amount of space. Take Genesis, for instance. In Genesis, 11 chapters are devoted to creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Those are very important themes and doctrines. But then you go from chapters 12 to 50, and Moses highlights the lives of four individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Well, while the themes of the first 11 chapters are foundational, What's the book of Genesis 
really emphasizing when you look at the book as a whole. The book is emphasizing how God started with one man and one family and one nation. Right? I mean, in the whole scheme of the book of Genesis, that's what Moses is emphasizing. From chapter 12 on is Abraham and his descendants and how God was going to form a nation out of them and they were going to be a light to the other nations and through them the Messiah was going to come. All that space. That ought to be a clue that Abraham and his descendants is a, a very important thing that we're to pick up on in our study of the book of Genesis. You, you get in certain gospels and, and, and that last week of the life of the Lord Jesus, Passion Week, chapter after chapter after chapter will be devoted to that. Like Mark's gospel that we're studying on Wednesday nights. Mark will sort of fast forward through some things, but boy, when we get to Passion Week, he's going to really camp out on that. The sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And, and really highlight all that in detail. And so the amount of space that a book devotes to a topic. Clues us in. Hey that's something I need to pay attention to. Another thing is if the book states its purpose. Find Proverbs. Look at Proverbs a minute. Right, right up front in the book of Proverbs. Look at, look at what we're told in chapter 1 verse 2 of the book of Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So what's the book of Proverbs? Right off from the beginning, the stated purpose. What's it going to What's the book going to do? To bring wisdom to life. Or you're reading the gospel of John. And at the end of the gospel of John. You know here the stated purpose comes at the end of the book. In chapter 20. Beginning there in verse 30, John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's, what's the purpose of the Gospel of John, according to John right here? What's the purpose? So that you'll see that Jesus is the Christ and you'll come to faith in him. The whole book is pointing to, to Jesus being the son of God and our savior. And so that's another thing to look for in a book. If the book gives you the stated purpose. 
ding, 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 light bulb ought to go off, right? And then what we read in the book, we kind of relate it back to, aha, yeah, that, I see how that relates to the stated purpose. How about the order of a book? Here again, thinking about Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, everything's good. God created a perfect world. But we see today that we live in a fallen world. What happened? Well, we need to read Genesis 3, right? Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. God created a perfect world, said everything's good. I look around the world today and everything's not good. What happened? (laughs) So just following the order of the narrative and seeing what God's telling us. The events that happened. Another sign along the way to pay attention to as you're studying a book in the Bible. Things that are repeated. Terms, phrases, clauses. This morning, for instance, as we were in Revelation 12, one word kept surfacing over and over in Revelation 12. Great. A great woman. A great dragon. Great wrath. Great sign. Great. How about characters that are repeated? Circumstances that are repeated? Patterns. Pay attention to that. Things that are related. Sometimes in the Bible, the Bible will put together a list. Going back to Proverbs a minute ago, how Proverbs says there there are six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven. And then he lists those things out. Or how about the fruit of the Spirit? Or the gifts of the Spirit? List. Pay attention to those. Sometimes in the Bible reading there will be kind of a question and answer format or cause and effect relationship. Be mindful of that. Uh, Look for things that are alike and unlike with one another. Uh, Alike, similes, as, like. David said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. What what Peter say in 1 Peter 2? Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Similes. Things that use like or as. Metaphors. Jesus said, I'm the vine. Did Jesus mean he was a vine growing up? little weed or little did he mean a literal literal vine like that no it's a metaphor a vine gives life to the branches that produce the fruit Jesus said I'm the door into the sheepfold is he a piece of wood or stone no but you got into a sheepfold through the door he's the doorway into God's sheepfold Jesus said you must be born again. He was using a metaphor there. Birth as an illustration. Look for things that are unlike. When the 
conjunction uh, but is used. Or maybe when a contrast is being drawn up. In, in, in the parable of the unjust judge, you know, in, in Luke 18, the persistent widow and the unjust judge, is God like or unlike that judge? God's unlike that judge. The point Jesus is making there, the widow kept going persistently before that judge and he finally gave her an answer and he was unjust. We are to continually go before our heavenly father and we can have the assurance that he's just, he's not unjust. And if an unjust judge answered a lady's petition, how much more is a just and a righteous judge going to answer our petitions? So look for things like that in Scripture. Terms of conclusion. Therefore, after Paul's doctrinal sections in his letters, like Romans 12, for instance, you come to Romans 12... Therefore, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. In light of everything Paul's just written in the book of Romans about salvation and being included in God's purposes. And here we were dead in trespasses and sins and, and made alive in Christ and we're indwelt by the Spirit of God and all things work together for good. And we get to we 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 get to Romans chapter 12 and Paul's saying, man, in light of that and the fact that God, look at everything God's done to make you a part of his family. Therefore, how should you be living? He does the same in the book of Ephesians, doesn't he? All the rich doctrine in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 gets to chapter 4. Therefore, brethren, let's walk worthy of the calling that we have. So terms of conclusion. Expressions of time. When you read in the Bible and words like then or after this or when such and such happened... Let that alert you to what comes next. Wednesday night, studying the Gospel of Mark. Mark uses that term immediately 42 times. I mentioned how Mark's Gospel moves along just rapidly. Uh, uh, reporting about Jesus' deeds and actions. Immediately he did this. Immediately this. Immediately this. Then he went and immediately did this. And immediately did this. Immediately did this. Think, think of that, folks. Mark's gospel is just 16 chapters long, 42 times, immediately, immediately, immediately. Mark's gospel is very fast-paced. And so look for things like that. Again, things that are emphasized, things that a, a great amount of space is devoted to them, stated purposes, the order of things, characters, terms, phrases, clauses, circumstances, patterns, lists, questions and answers, cause and effects, uh, similes, metaphors, uh, terms of conclusions, expressions of time. All of those things are important as you read. Now we studied even in grade school and then in high school about in English grammar, 
and we studied about these things. It, they're important when you come to the Word of God also. And you see these kind of key words and unique words and uh, metaphors and similes and conjunctions and things tied together or contrasted. I'm just saying as you read the Bible, pay attention to those parts of speech. I can promise you if you do, if you'll just read more carefully and pay attention to basic parts of speech and the way things are being set up in that passage, light bulbs will go off. You'll come away understanding that passage better. Well, uh, thirdly, let me encourage you to put your observations in writing. Maybe create an observation page for each chapter of the Bible. Uh, put the book and the chapter at the top of the page. Divide the page into categories. Key persons, key events, key doctrines, main lessons emphasized or, or learned. And just fill that page up. For every chapter in the Bible, have you an observation page? What stood out to you in that chapter? What was important? Again, those key characters. Major movements in, in, the, in the story's narrative. Change in scenery. A new character being introduced. Some action taken. Have you a page, you, you jot down those notes, each chapter in the Bible. Some people love to do charts. If you're a visual person and you like that, I've given you a couple of charts there that might help. Uh, look at chart A, for instance. You could, uh, Chuck Swindoll is somebody, if you read many of his commentaries and books, Chuck Swindoll is somebody who loves to do these. And you can look at his and learn a lot about doing this. Does anybody in here love to do charts? Got into that? It, it's, a, it's a great way to kind of visualize a, a book as a whole. Now for me, I find it works a little easier on shorter books. It's a little more difficult to do a chart of Jeremiah. You know, a little easier for Philippians. But nonetheless, it, it's great if you kind of like seeing things. Look at chart A. Uh, look at that center column, chapter 1. Uh, look at the theme there, trials, temptations, true religion. You, ways you could title that chapter, the, the reality of, of trials and tests. Or attitudes as you're going through trials and tests. Chapter 2. Favoritism forbidden. True faith seen by actions. Title. Chapter 2. Faith in action. If you were to look down at, at that other chart. And chapter 1 title, 2 title. Transfer your titles down to there. And then you look on the back. And, and in chapter 1. Underneath chapter 1's title. And in that little uh, portion of the chart. I've got the reality of tests and trials. With proper attitudes. And it's a foundational chapter to the book of James. You get into chapters 2 through 5. Of the book of James. 
and you see examples of real faith in action. Now that block, you'll notice, transcends all of those chapters. Two, three, four, and five. Then you look underneath that and, and look at the look at the leftmost vertical column where it says not showing favoritism. I, I hate I had to uh, change this up between two pages because you, you can't really follow it as well. But that goes with chapter 3. Chapter 3, uh, or excuse me, chapter 2, not showing favoritism and responding to human need presented to you. Chapter 3, controlling the tongue, walking in true uh, heavenly wisdom. Chapter 4, humbling myself before God, my brothers, planning my life only within the will of God. Chapter 5, being mistreated by others, knowing God will be the judge in the end. Faithful praying amidst the various problems and opportunities in life. Going after my strained brother. I, I, now I've not written down every little detail in every little chapter. Just the highlights of each chapter. But, but you understand the way the chart's done? You look at each chapter, come up with a title, and, and then break down each chapter, the basic themes. And, and again, uh, over top of 2, 3, 4, and 5, examples of real faith in action because all of the chapters have that. You put that on a chart, on a page... Or stick it in your Bible right there at James. And you immediately just have a visual graph of that book. If, if you like visual things, if you like charts and graphs, go home and practice that with some of the shorter books, Philippians or Colossians or, or, or do James yourself and see what you come up with. Probably my favorite way of getting perspective on a chapter or a pericope. A pericope is a unit of thought. For instance, it might be Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 13. One unit of thought, a pericope. And Paul is developing a thought and theme within that pericope. What I like to do is go through that and pick out the independent clauses and the, main, and the dependent clauses. And on my computer, I'll put in bold all the independent clauses, the main clauses, and I'll left justify them against your left margin. And then if it's a dependent clause, I put it above what it modifies, indent it three spaces over from the word it's modifying. Put it above if it comes before the main clause. If it comes below, I mean if it comes after the main clause, then I drop down below, indent three spaces with the word it modifies and put it below. And again, you just kind of get a, a visual of what, is really being emphasized. I, I've, I've given you that. If you were to do 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, uh, you'd, you'd see the, the main clauses. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary prowls around, but resist him. 
The God of all grace will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through that whole pericope, those are the main clauses. And you see the things that aren't in bold. Therefore, humble. The first uh, dependent clause, I've dropped down under humble. That's what it modifies. Indented three spaces that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him is a way to humble yourself because he cares for you. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls. How does he prowl? Like a roaring lion. What's he doing as he's prowling? Seeking somebody to devour. Just break down a pericope with main clauses and then dependent clauses. Y'all did this in school, right? You did do this in school. Plus all the other kind of little diagramming, you know, on the little sticks for subject and verb and object. Do that with a verse of Scripture. I, I do that too, the old diagram and the, the, the subject on, and then the little vertical bar and then the verb and then the object and just, just understand the parts of speech in a verse. What's the subject? What's the verb? What's the object? Who's doing the acting? What's being acted upon? Just, just seeing that. Just some approach to kind of give you a visual to see it. I promise you if you get in the habit of doing that, it really kind of helps words jump off the page and come alive to you. I guarantee you it does. Is it work? Yeah. But it's God's word. Right? We'll sit down and read a 600 page fictional novel. Maybe not think anything of it. But balk at studying three chapters of the Bible. We got our priorities all messed up. Just little tool, little things you can do like this to help you see the scripture. Whether it's diagramming, whether it's a chart. Again, I promise you, it'll help. It'll help. Plus, it'll kind of dig up some of those old grammar lessons you learned in seventh grade in English grammar, right? Now, by the way, you, when, you, when you do something like a, a diagram, like it, you, you need, it's easier. Now, in, in seminary, we had to do all this from the original languages. I know you're not going to do that. But it, it helps if you, if you pick a more of a literal translation, the New American Standard, something like that. King James, New King James, New American Standard, Revised Standard Version. ESV, the English Standard Version, those are more literal word-for-word -word translations. You get into paraphrases and all that, and it's more, you know, it, 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 it's more difficult. And, and, and I'll give you an example of that. This First Peter passage, 
Uh, in the NIV, which is more of a dynamic equivalent, it's combination between literal word for word and thought for thought. It'll put periods where in the Greek text there is no period. For instance, what Peter is saying here, one of the ways to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God is, as you see how I have it outlined here, is by casting all your anxiety on him. Because in the Greek, casting is a participle that modifies humbling yourself. And so one of the ways you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God is by casting all your care upon him. But if you're reading the NIV, guess what? It has a period and casting all your anxiety upon him is a whole new sentence. And so you really miss the way the biblical writer is joining verbs and participles together. Showing what's modifying what. You from reading the NIV, and I love the NIV. I'm not being critical of it. I mean, I love sitting down and reading it, but I'm just saying if you're trying to do something like this, you're going to want to use something like the NAS, ESV, RSV, King James Version, because they follow more of the grammar and syntax of the original languages. So relearn reading, read, read, read the Bible, look for main thoughts, key words, key verses, chapter summaries, doctrines in the book, etc., etc., etc. And take notes of your observations. And again, when you start reading your Bible this way, it's going to come alive to you and things will jump out of the book. It is not too much to ask. The Bible is our main tool for learning the mind and thoughts of God. Doctors have their manuals. Engineers have their manuals. Folks, we've got one book to master. And the Bible that we're called upon to master is God's Word. It'll change your life. And so it deserves more than oftentimes we give to it. We just need to quit being so careless and undisciplined with the Word of God. And start reading it and treating it as the treasure book that it is. Take time. Have a notebook. Record what you learn and read and reread and study a book of the Bible until you've mastered the contents of that book. Yes, it's work, but it's the way to dig and mine the treasures out. Any questions? Any thoughts? Again, have I mentioned something that's brought up in your mind? Some tip, something that you do that, that has helped you, Lori? Mm-hmm.
when, when I was talking about what? Yes. A unit of thought. And in and, and, and a lot of our Bibles, that, that they'll even break out the pericopes with little paragraph headings. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just giving you that as an example. Yeah. But, you know, for instance, and in, in since we used the book of James earlier tonight, you know, you, you look at James 2 a minute, and you look at James 2, and beginning in verse 1, where he's talking about the sin of partiality, now, where does that run all the way down through? That unit of thought or that pericope runs all the way down through verse 13. He's talking about the sin of partiality. That whole section right there. Right? That's a unit of thought, a pericope. Mm-hmm. That whole that those those thirteen verses deal with the sin of partiality. Just like if you were to uh, turn over to James chapter three, uh, the passage on the tongue. That pericope starts at verse one, runs all the way down through what? Verse twelve. And, and so as we're studying the scripture or we're teaching the scripture, if you were going to teach on the tongue out of James chapter 3, you would, want to, you would want to look at that whole unit of thought. If you were going to teach your class on that, you'd want to look at verses 1 uh, to 12 and deal with that whole unit of thought. And that's the way we ought to study the Bible. That whole unit of thought. Rather than today, I uh, read James 3, 1 in my devotion. And then tomorrow, let's see. I'm over here in Genesis 45, verse 4. That's no way to study the Bible. And so just taking a pericope or a unit of thought at a time. At least that. That ought to be the minimum that we do in our Bible study. Did that help? I'm not. Did I answer your question? Okay. <laughs> but like I say, most most English translations just just from the paragraph divisions and the titles they give you over each paragraph, they're they're breaking out each unit of thought for you basically. But again, I guess my criticism of these little devotion books, they'll have one verse and paragraph written on it, a little prayer at the bottom, and day two tomorrow, it's a whole different part of the Bible. And I just, we're just not going to build any type of continuity in our Bible study by, by studying the Bible that way.
Okay? Question. Like I say, if, if you've got a tip you want to share with us tonight, what has, what has helped your Bible reading or your Bible study? Okay, just uh, the, the outline Bible, okay. Yes, there are some of those out on the market today. They're good. You what? I I'm, I'm, didn't hear you, George. Okay, good. Verlaine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yes. That's that's a great illustration. Uh, in studying uh, First and Second Kings, write down all the northern kings and all the southern kings. And the ones that were good and bad and, and what they did right or wrong. And having a chart of that. Uh, that that's an excellent way to study First and Second Kings. Right. Hmm. In, in studying uh, my, my favorite hands down now I've gone to the ESV because of the accuracy of it and the readability the ESV is sort of being touted as the King James version of, the new gener of a new generation very very accurate translation but it's written in the same beauty and style as the King James. And so I've gone to it mainly for public reading. But uh, still my favorite to study if I'm going to really be looking at parts of speech and how things uh, link together. Hands down the NAS. I mean you can, you can read the NAS and know in the Greek text for instance if you're in the New Testament. What's a verb? What's a participle? Um, and, and even if there's a particular nuance to that verb in the Greek, the, the inception that, the, that an action is beginning, the NAS will even make that vivid, that that action was just, he was beginning to do that. And so, I mean, it's, it sticks so exactly to, to the uh, grammar and syntax of the original languages. I don't think you can beat the uh, NAS, but... There's a lot of good translations. But uh, again, it's so helpful just to, man, have them all spread out before you or, or to get Bibles with some of them parallel and just do some comparison studies. I mean, it just, 
it can bring passages and verses so much to life. Well, next week we're going to look at some issues of interpretation and application. And then, then we'll begin moving on to some other things foundational in the Christian life. But any other question or comment before we go? Yes. 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 And then there's an updated version of it too. few minor changes, not many. So it'll either be the NAS, NASB, or updated NASB, but all, all the same. Lockman Foundation is the publisher. Okay. Sure, sure. I imagine early Christians who were suffering imprisonment, torture, death, when they got scrolls, I'm sure they devoured them, you know. Just so many things compete with Bible reading today and it I know it happens. I know it happens. All of us are pulled in a thousand different directions. But we've got to keep in perspective this is God's word. And it truly deserves my concentration and my attention. One more person then we need to dismiss. A tip, something you've learned in your Bible study or reading that has made a big difference to you? Anybody? I'm, I, I'm sorry. Amen. Boy, some passages are like that. They just grip your soul and you just stay in it. It's like day after day after day. You just, it's like the Lord just won't turn you loose from that. And then. Boom, finally, lights come on and you're like, man, I'm glad I stayed at that one passage for five days. Okay. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Do your Bible study or reading when your mind is fresh and alert. Sometimes we're ready to fall in the bed and go to sleep. Oh, I hadn't read the Bible done. Mm, let me read it, real, you know, read it real fast fall asleep. If you're a morning person, study it in the morning. If you're a night person, study it at night or in the, in the day sometimes. Just when your mind's alert. Very good point. But if you'll, if you'll read the Bible this way and have your notebook and jot down some of these observations and record some of the, these things as you go along, chart some things, outline some things, graph some things, 
I guarantee you, you will come back to me two years from now after getting used to doing that and you'll say, Pastor, I started doing that and the Bible has come alive to me now more than ever in my life. You try it. I'm serious.